0: Hello and welcome to another podcast of Father and Joe. I'm Joe Rocky here with Father Boniface Hicks. And Father, I want to continue from a conversation that we had at our last recording where we said that the Gospels are not a novel. They don't break down every single detail the way that a modern novel would. And it's expected to have your input into it to just have kind of a a base knowledge. And the great part of it is on the human level, especially on the spirituality side, none of that has really changed. Human beings are kind of the same. We all have the same basic emotions. We get happy. We get scared. You know, those types of things are are within us under natural law. But as far as some of the political element that Christ grew up in, we don't really have that and in american history we've never really had it um so my starting point uh from here is is what was it like in in the times of christ more so than just people saying well people didn't live as long people you know were shorter and you were in the middle east so it was a little bit warmer but like what was the culture actually like and i think that we hear these details in the bible but we overlook them because societies are that much different from from America versus there. So I wanted to spend some time on there, and, and I would like you to jump in every time I say something that's wrong. Um, because the, uh, the the first thing that I think that we overlook the most in America is that the land was occupied by a foreign power. And that means that your people or military did not have the ability to stop someone from coming in and taking over. And historically speaking, when an occupying power comes to take over somewhere, they want something. And normally they're pretty brutal in the way that they take it. Um, You know, a lot of the last major occupying power we had was the Russians and Stalin gave pretty explicit orders that his troops can do whatever he wanted to, whoever he wanted along the way in the Germany. And then they kept doing it afterwards. And that was pretty much the standard throughout all occupying powers. You figure out through many examples prior to it, but to specifically zoom into the rush or the uh, Italians and the Roman occupations, they themselves were in a spot of turnover. They had just essentially installed a dictatorship. We give it a nice word now called an emperor, but he was a dictator, and people had to do whatever he wanted. And the prior two before him were essentially murdered to put in a new guy. And that's what Tiberius did. And his underlings beneath him quickly realized, I got to make this guy happy if I want to have a political career. Because now, just as ever, people like having promotions. And they like coming up through the ranks to get more perks. And the Roman province leaders saw that as well, that, we had a guy in charge named Tiberius who was a very evil man, quite frankly. He enjoyed putting people through torture and killing them. And his underlings saw that. His underlings also saw that the number one thing that they were supposed to do to make him happy was give him money from the people that they were in charge of. And that gets into a lot of problems as a starting point. Because as you look as far as, from, we're coming from modern America, how do we look at at things such as taxes? Well, not to give the whole tax code away, but we essentially get taxed three ways in two different categories. One is an income tax, you get paid based upon what you make, and the other two are consumption taxes, which is the sales tax and the company tax. But in those days, in, occupied, in Roman occupied territories, you had to pay not a tax, but essentially a fee for being alive in a Roman territory, whether you made money, whether you were capable of going to work or not, you had to pay a fee for the right to live in a Roman occupied land. And the Romans weren't stupid. They realized that that's going to upset a lot of people. And if we send our own Romans around to go and collect this money here, there and everywhere, there's going to be a problem. So they hire a local person um, which is where the, you know, the the everyone yells at Jesus for why are you hanging out with a tax collector? Because the tax collector essentially is betraying his people who are already under this oppression to go around and collect money. And it didn't take very long for him to realize that he could tell them whatever number he wanted to collect because the difference in if an American doesn't pay taxes versus someone in occupied of ancient Rome is in America you're going to get a lot of calls from the IRS and eventually they're going to give you a bill and you're going to have to pay it. But even during that time, we look at how humans deal with that. We get scared, we get anxious, very stressed. We we don't like checking our phones when we know or checking our mail when we know we did something wrong from the IRS. It's a very stressful point. And that's basically just by losing some money. We look at it as far as what the Romans did if you couldn't pay well, the worst thing that they did is they killed you, but then they, that was to you. They also gave you the option to either sell yourself or sell your family into debt slavery. And imagine the stress you would have if you couldn't pay a bill and you knew that there was a chance that either yourself or one of your children were going to be sold into slavery to a reign that doesn't care about human life at all and the example they give you in the Bible is Herod was so paranoid that another king was going to be made. He killed every kid younger than two, and no one could do anything to stop it. That's that's what the Romans did, and that that's the backdrop. So people are, are not being able to pay their bills. They have people telling them their bill is just making up the number, essentially, and they have to deal with it because their army can't get rid of the Roman army. So... In situations like that, you know, what are you going to do? Well, what we do here in modern America is, we look to nonprofits for help. We look to the church for help. In the Roman occupied time, the Jewish church was really the only option, and the way that the Roman hierarchy and the the Jewish church kind of got along was they got on the same page. Um, Caiaphas was part of a line of priest who became in charge and they wanted to keep that power his father-in-law is the one that they say had the real power and that's why Jesus went to see him even though he wasn't in charge during his trial at the end so Caiaphas realizing he didn't want to lose his job kind of had to become friends with the Roman powers that were and the way that they did that was we're not going to cause an uprising about you extracting funds from our people And you're not going to kick me out of power because I'm not going to say anything. And that was the tacit agreement that they had. But the other thing that, that the temple was doing was that they were making up currency exchanges to fund the temple. So they would say, you know, your $3 in Roman money only counts as 30 cents here, but you still have to pay a temple tax because you want to be in good standing in your faith. And the church or the temple rather was also being as corrupt as, as the Romans themselves. So I bring that up as, as kind of the economic and fearful backdrop that people didn't really have anywhere to go and they were scared. And then I think about the career that Jesus had is he was a carpenter, which means he knew how to, to build things and carpenters today. If you go to a crew, which some people may have, some people may not have, you'll see a very diverse line of skills that are required and therefore a very diverse way of people getting paid. And just like then, now every house has to fight against three basic elements, gravity, water, and fire. And most people don't even think of fire being a thing today in America because everything that uses fire is so built and well-made. Your furnace heats your house up with exposed flame, just randomly coming out of the ground fire, and your stove is completely contained as well. It wasn't like that back in Jesus' time. You had to know how to build a fire pit that would keep the house from burning down, but still keep it warm, an incredibly important skill. I mean, today, houses basically rot out because of water. You had to know how to do that, and then obviously, you need to know how to be structurally sound. And Jesus grew up dealing with these real problems and becoming competent at his craft. Um, They never explicitly say how good he was, but by getting the title of carpenter today means that you've rang to pretty much the highest tier of knowing what you're doing. And that takes years to come up through the ranks. So if you think if he was doing that his whole life from he was 12 all the way up until he started his ministry a couple of things would have become evident he would have been dealing day to day with people who are coming on the crew who have no way of paying these taxes they have no real skills but they can take the the parts of the crew that need taken away the debris the, the the cuts of the lumber and stuff that just gets thrown away as essentially manual labor without any technical skills and those guys don't get paid a lot and they're scrummaging to get by and then you have this whole blend of society that you're building new houses for all kinds of other people but the point is is there's no power tools so everything he's doing is doing by hand which inherently has to create a physical strength so he would have looked physically strong which gets me to the point of whenever he started his ministry one of the first things he does is he goes to the temple and he flips over the tables and gets all upset and everyone around him is like, yeah, this guy's awesome. I'm getting killed by these taxes anyway. And this guy's fighting it. That's great. And you think back to some of the biggest heroes of the old Testament, David went and killed an entire army to free his people and became King. Joshua, Essentially, laid out the Egyptian army so they'd stop chasing them, and there's a precedence of of military strength in their in their heroes, in their prophets, and I can see naturally that's why people would be be excited and thinking that Jesus comes to conquer the evil, to take over and eliminate the evil, and I think that. In, Many ways, when you look at it from that capacity, is justified when you think that, oh, the Messiah would be a military man. Because that's, A, what you're used to, and B, probably what you want the most to get rid of these Romans. So um, I know I just went on for a lot there. But to me, that's kind of the most shocking part that Jesus gives a message of essentially love, because God is love, and that wins better than taking up military forces and shoving the Romans back to Rome. And sorry, that's one of the longest introductions I've ever done there. But I I certainly want to give you the floor there because that historical backdrop, as I was digging into it, just kind of opened up so many different thoughts about so many different angles of the gospel. And I just wanted to share it.
1: Awesome. You've been doing a lot of reading. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Have you found some particularly good sources that you can recommend? Um, yeah, I mean, um, the
0: uh, the fourth cop was was one of them, but he focused more on the spiritual side of it. Scott, um, huh? Yeah, um, I read a book that was called Killing Jesus, ironically, um, and it was basically a, a biography of the, of the times from the Roman perspective um, and the motivations of Rome, and that was from from Bill O'Reilly, and that was where. Um, the Roman perspective was really illuminated because those Romans took a lot of notes um for better or worse, they did that so um that that was kind of the two major sources I went through there as well as various internet sites but i, I stuck with the s- people who had big bi bibli- or uh, you know reference books in the back which which those mm-hmm. two certainly did
1: well, just to make a uh, a couple of broad observations about. Uh, what you just did for us, Joe, which uh, I love hearing about. It's one of the things you mentioned. First of all, there aren't a lot of details in the Bible. And one of the reasons there aren't a lot of those kinds of details is that the purpose of the scriptures is really to teach, first of all, what is necessary for salvation. So faith and morals are the kind of primary thrust of the scripture. It's a it's a story of salvation history and is um, an introduction, a revelation of God. And so he, he's trying to describe himself. He, at the same time, it's not a mythology or or a, a collection of archetypes. It's not just myth stories in order to illustrate kind of uh, symbolic ideas or something like that. One of the things... I've mentioned Jordan Peterson a number of times in our podcast because I do appreciate very much some of the ways he approaches things, but uh, I think he would view the Bible as being just that kind of archetypal presentation of ideas. Jesus, whether he existed or not, Jordan Peterson would say, is illustrating the great hero archetype. Well. In Christianity, we believe that Jesus existed. <laughs> we believe that he was a historical person. and so, when the Bible doesn't present those historical details, it's not because they're not important or because the Bible didn't unfold in history. But certainly we do believe as as a core teaching of our faith, that the the scripture that God has entered into human history. He hasn't entered into sort of mythological history. He hasn't entered into Disneyland or Cinderella land. He hasn't merely spoken about himself as ideas that we can project onto our own circumstances. He has truly entered into history. He already entered into history all the way from the beginning by creating history. He then entered into history as he interacted with, uh, Or with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as he interacted with Moses and Israel. And he spoke through the prophets. He revealed the law. He has these interventions into history. But then he does does that in the most definitive way in his son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who is a real person, who is an historical person, uh, but who is not merely man, but is also God. God become man. So uh, just to say history is really important. And so the method that you were just using, which is, well, let's look at the history. You were doing that, as you mentioned, through some secondary sources, other people who took the effort to look through the history and understand what the times were like and to understand Jesus, to some degree, his actions, his words in the context of those times to get a little bit of insight into the mentality of people in those times and some of the trials and tensions that they were experiencing, and that could shed some light on the scripture. And that's certainly one of the uh, wonderful movements in scripture scholarship in the last 150 years is taking that dimension of the scripture very seriously, the historical dimension and fleshing out some of those empty spaces. You know, we don't know, uh, we don't hear much in the scripture about some of the details that you just mentioned some of the tensions with the Romans or the details of their behavior, or we'd hear about tax collectors but don't understand exactly what the taxation systems were based on the scriptures alone, and we can look to some secondary or some other sources, historical sources, to uncover some of that. So uh, it's, it's a wonderful practice. As we understand more of history, it won't undermine the gospel, but will rather highlight and, and explain the gospel or, or give us even more context for understanding it. So it's a wonderful combination of how the human sciences, his, the historical sciences, for example, can complement the study of scripture. So uh, having said that, I would also just post uh, one small caution that uh, because of uh, Well, there's always a danger, Uh, since we don't have a perfect understanding of that history, it's always possible for people to take five out of ten facts and form some ideas in history to project some of their own ideas back onto things and to create a certain narrative that promotes a certain agenda. And so we just have to be a little careful about that too. And uh, I don't think I would disagree with anything uh, that you said, Joe, uh, but just to make that observation because some people will use history to create a kind of narrative to apply an interpretation to the gospel which will lead us down a different path in terms of faith and morals and so if the bible left it out it's because it's not essential for understanding who god is and it's not essential for salvation so uh, we don't need to understand all that history but when we do it gives us a kind of fuller picture and can help our appreciation of what What the gospel is saying, but I'm just aware that people who do give a similar narrative to what you just gave could end up with very different conclusions about who Jesus is and how Christianity should be lived out. And then just to give one uh, very small example, but uh, again, you were building up a certain point, which I, I think is very beautiful Jesus being physically strong, for example, because he was a carpenter, what that means, a lot of implications. Well, he practiced that, he did these things we don't actually know anything about his carpentry. In fact, it's even argued whether he was a carpenter. He was a tecton, and tecton could be a variety of skilled craftsmen. He could have been a guy that whittled uh, cabinets. He could have been a guy that built houses. He could have been actually a blacksmith, uh, which certainly would have led to physical strength. So anyway, just to say, uh, while it's valuable to press into those historical things and they can flesh out and reinforce our faith, we shouldn't derive our faith merely from historical things, uh, lest we would get a little confused picture of, uh, of what was really happening.
0: Sure. And- yeah. And, and, and to go off what you're saying there, um, as far as you're saying that people can see different things and come to wildly different conclusions. I mean, we could see this in modern day America. MSNBC and Fox News are looking at the same thing with basically polar opposite outcomes. I, I certainly <laughs> understand that. Um, to the what kind of carpenter was he Was he or a cabinet maker or, or whatever the the economic dynamic of it's the same though he he still would have been dealing with people really low on the ladder continuously trying to just survive to get by whether he was making a waterproof roof or making a new chair kind of is, is irrelevant as he said you know you don't need to know how to waterproof a house to be able to be salvation you need to know how to to live a life of, of love and, and that makes makes perfect sense and the, the other thing that kind of came out to me was it, it just made the, the people's understanding um and, and their reactions make more sense to me because especially whenever we're looking at at the end of good friday because the most details of any of it is 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 his trial and you see how quickly everyone turns well, part of that is because most of it was done in secret. You know, the other trials happened at night. But part of it is is that he brought, or for Passover, the entire Jewish nation shows up to the city. There's no way everyone saw Jesus in three years. I mean, you probably heard of him. You heard of rumors. Um, I kind of think of it as, as um, like, back in 1900s, if you lived in Boston, maybe you heard of the Pittsburgh Pirates. Maybe you saw them once, but didn't really know who Honest Wagner was. But you'd read about them, people would talk about them, but you didn't really know. And then all of a sudden, one day you show up, and the guy who's in charge of our whole face says, he is the worst person, we need to kill him. It's kind of understandable why you'd be like, oh, I guess that's what we got to do then. I um, guess, you know, guess this myth you know wasn't really real. And certainly not trying to downplay the crowd but to me it became more understandable you know it it it, it, it seemed more present because the other question I always had was yeah sure Jesus knew a lot he, he was great at teaching but that doesn't mean you know, and this might be just another culture thing I don't understand that you would just open your house up to him and let him hang out for a couple of days but if he was here helping you with the project and teaching you at the same time that would make sense to me, you know. Like my mother can't fix this roof. Can you help her out a little bit since you know what you're doing? That, that would that that opens it up. And then obviously, as he gets further in his ministry, his uh, his legend kind of preceded himself. As people were just throwing themselves at him to get healed, like the lepers who didn't ask, who just begged them, and then got that they wanted and left, almost like a slot machine type thing. And then the one guy who comes back and says, thank you. And it's the beginning part whenever he hasn't fully revealed himself as far as started to do all the miracles yet. And he was still being welcomed into people's houses is the part where I also took that to, to make a little bit more sense because people know a lot of things that doesn't mean you always get invited in for, for dinner. Um, And that might be a cultural thing that I don't understand as much, but I think this made well, a little bit more sense to me. Uh,
1: just to highlight uh, one thing that you did when I sort of pushed back on what kind of uh, uh, craftsman he was, and you were very clear about the conclusion you had drawn from that, and that it fits multiple different data possibilities, which is really good. Keeping keeping those connections is really important to understand what what am I basing this conclusion on. Uh, am I basing it on certain historical things that are eighty percent, twenty percent, fifty percent possible? Well, if I take a number of different starting points, I end up at the same place. I, I have a fair amount of confidence, but it's always good to keep that little bit of context in terms of where we got some ideas. The, one example is uh, there are some scripture scholars that, in looking at the the scriptures, promote an idea of when they were written you know of course jesus didn't write them Uh, they were written by human beings that happened at particular times we can imagine them being written over a period of time but when did we have the whole gospel of luke for example well one of the conclusions used for the dating of luke's gospel was that jesus described the destruction of the temple and so that couldn't have been written until after the destruction of the temple in which at what point Luke then was able to put words back into Jesus's mouth to describe the destruction of the temple. The idea that Jesus was actually prophetic and could predict the destruction of the temple had been eliminated from the minds of these scripture scholars. So uh, knowing that why do we say Luke's gospel is dated later than, um, than Mark's gospel? Well, a big thing is this point on the destruction of the temple which is like really i don't believe that well then maybe i can reevaluate when luke's gospel was actually written so anyway I just point out that it's nice to know what how we got from where where we were to where we are and what historical uh you know assumptions we're using to get there uh, and and likewise and, and again i'm uh I can only affirm what you're doing because I just love that you're reading these things and uh, certainly getting trustworthy sources and also other sources. It's nice to read a variety of things, to watch MSNBC and Fox News, and you start to uh, be, be able to get a little bit of a, uh, uh, understanding of where the truth is somewhere in the middle. But anyway, the, uh, when you say that, why were they letting him into their house? Well, We actually would derive a little bit more insight from the current practices of hospitality among the the Bedouins, who are uh, fairly, I don't know, uh, it's a fairly ancient culture in the in the Middle East. Because the settings were so rough, unlike our cities now, lives were in danger, people were in danger, just from the, the natural circumstances. And hospitality was an extremely high value, so they didn't have stranger danger in those times uh, and And so reading our own mentality back on those times, our houses are much like more like small fortresses and were really designed to protect ourselves. but um, you know people really held together more and things like breaking bread, uh, you'd set a feast before a stranger. you get that idea from looking at Abraham, when he has these three visitors, they come from nowhere, and he welcomes them and slaughters a bull for them. I mean, he, he goes to no end of, uh, of, of generosity in extending hospitality. And that's because, you know, you today, me tomorrow, it was the idea that I could very easily be in the same situation. And when you have a stranger, a, a traveler from a distant land, you welcome him in. And so the idea of welcoming strangers was much more prominent in those times, people moving from one place to another and being in need of uh, of a meal, of a place to stay. And so that's why Jesus, as a carpenter, and you may have some good insight, I'm not uh, undermining that, you know, maybe he was also doing some work for them. I think it's certainly possible. I mean, he developed some reputation and he started really from his hometown and worked outward. They were probably people that he had some connection with. He made the journey to Jerusalem every year. We know that. Uh, He probably stayed with different people along the way and got to know people. So, I mean, it was certainly, a you know, we're talking about a fairly small geographic area, relatively speaking. So the idea that he could have made some connections and had some, you know, just organic friendships and things like that. But then also the practice of hospitality was much stronger in those days than in our own. So that's why Jesus could send out his disciples two by two and say, whoever welcomes you, stay there. So there's an expectation that they, who didn't have any kind of skill to offer, they were fishermen. (laughs) They they certainly weren't going to fix anybody's house, but that they would be welcomed somewhere And that they should stay there and use that as a kind of home base. So anyway, these are, but these are, these are wonderful things. That's again, why I I don't, while I'm, you know, drawing some contrasts and offering some alternate perspectives and things like that, fundamentally, I just want to affirm, like it's just wonderful that you're reading these things, that you're trying to apply them. And there's something else that I heard in what you were saying that I found so important. You said, you know, like it made more sense to me. There are certain things that bothered you. When you read the scripture, like, why? Why is that? Why does that make sense? How does that fit in? How do I understand that? Fantastic! I love when people are reading the scripture that way, and they're bothered by things. Now, again, may you be bothered for the for your whole life. (laughs) We we should never get to the point that we find uh, answers to everything because our answers will probably be too simplistic, and that's where this kind of dialogue, looking at other sources taking things to prayer most fundamentally, just asking Jesus, what what did this mean? How did this work? What did you do there? Why did you do this? Ask him, you know, that's uh, ask the apostles. We have access to them through prayer. And that's where faith is always ultimately going to fill out everything. There's a, a danger and, and kind of a movement in the last 150 years, as I said, there's been a real resurgence of the importance, the value of looking toward historical uh, studies and things like that. Uh, The danger is always going to be letting that take the place of faith, and it has to be both together. It's just like it's God is, is, Jesus is God and man, so also when we encounter Jesus, we have to look to the things of man, to historical realities, but also with the things of faith that we can really see the living God and and so allowing those things to grow together neither f- flopping into a fideism where we only use kind of the faith which may just become sort of pious platitudes or that we drop into a kind of humanism that disregards the divinity and and only looks to those human realities holding them both together in tension and then really exploring in both in prayer and in study and and we start to get this fuller picture which is which is really wonderful.
0: Yeah, well, well, thank you. Um yeah, and and lay said uh, it was just drive me cuz I I like to think of it cuz obviously for better or worse I'm not half god so I can't be Jesus but I can you know it's written in such a way where you if you were there which person would you be? And you know statistically speaking I'm probably a random guy in the crowd so to, to try to get some understandings of where they were coming from of we're getting give we all this stress and anxiety about money which is obviously still a thing and um and to see at a final trial the the head priest saying don't pick jesus he's causing problems and i don't know this for sure they just say that barabbas is a murderer but to me, I'm kind of making the the guess, and I don't have any context on this one. But he probably murdered a Roman, um, which meant that he would have killed a Roman soldier, and that means I got less chance of getting taxes. Some guy tried to take his taxes, and he took him out. So that's kind of in line with the uh, the olden days, you know, like David fighting against the people he was. So I can I can see that, and then you see that you can have similar choices like that here today and and try to avoid those from from a spiritual complex or a side of things so that that's part of what made me think about it because you know who's to say that you're just not a member of that crowd today without knowing what you're supposed to do so with that being said we thank everyone here for listening obviously we went a little bit longer than some of our last couple but we'll be with you here again next week